All righty. Well, come on back. And uh, uh, before I have Xander give the announcements, I want to talk to you about um, a few things. Uh, the first thing is this. Uh, I don't know if you guys, all of you know Mary Stock, but Mary goes here and... Um, uh, anyway, she went to Israel with us. This week, Mary fell down the steps and broke her neck, and she's in significant pain, but she's doing sort of really well, if you can say it that way, and she's listening now, so Mary, we love you. <laughs> so, but she is doing well. She's been able to feed herself, get up and walk around a little bit. Uh, lots and lots of pain. She's in a skilled nursing facility currently, uh, but I tell you this because I'd like you to pray for her, okay? And we'll actually pray for her uh, when I wind up this. Here's the other thing. Uh, Mike Reynolds, uh, thank you so much for filling in, and not just filling in, doing a wonderful job on Wednesdays, uh, and also Andy Mashenko for uh, doing a wonderful job on Sunday. Uh, Mike Reynolds mentioned this, but... <clears throat> Uh, we've had two people in our fellowship, uh, since we went on vacation, uh, go home to be with the Lord. The first one uh, is Terry McKnight, and Terry would mostly come on Sundays. Uh, and I want to read you something from Luke chapter 7, if you want to turn there. And uh, Luke chapter 7, something that's very familiar to you, uh, starting around, let's see here, Luke chapter 7. I'm going to start in the um, 43rd verse. I'm giving you a verse that reminds me of Terry or a bunch of scriptures here, and here it is. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Oh, I should read 41, I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a certain, Terry would like that, by the way. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, the freely for, uh, they, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the woman, your faith is saved, you go in peace. If I had to uh, think of <laughs> a portion of scripture that would remind me of Terry, uh, that would be it. Several years ago, 20, 25 years ago, and I know Terry wouldn't mind me telling this, he got in trouble with the law. And I think, I don't think it was jail, I think he went to prison, and uh, the Lord got a hold of his heart, and he loved the Lord. And there's no doubt where Terry is. There was a appropriate seriousness yet lightness with Terry. Uh, he was an encourager. 
He loved people. Every day he sent scripture to everybody in his contact list. You always got scripture from Terry. He was uh, always wanted to do it, and he would always reach out and say, if you don't want to be on this, great, but I'll take you off, but I love sending these. And he got such re- uh, reaction from her. So we're going to miss Terry. <laughs> we already do. But, and we're grieving for him. I mean, he had a stroke, how many months ago was it, Kathy? April. He had a stroke in April and um, sort of just deteriorated here in the last month or so. But uh, he's with the Lord, folks. And uh, we grieve, as I said earlier, but we don't grieve without hope. Hope is powerful. And Terry was full of hope. And uh, it was a pleasure to meet him. From a pastoral perspective, Terry just got to throw this out here, was a fantastic guy to have in your fellowship. Here's why. He was always a guy that would encourage me. He would send me notes. Uh, If I responded to one of his scriptures, he would come back and, you know, sort of make me feel good about it. It's just hard to explain. He was always sort of taking the emphasis off of him and putting it on others. Great guy. A privilege to know and to be brothers with Terry. And we pray for his wife, and I believe her name's Tina. Is that Lisa? Yeah, Lisa. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to lift her up here in a minute. Colleen Yazer, John's here today. She passed away last week. And uh, here's the scripture I picked for Colleen. And I say it with an amazing smile on my face. If you could turn over to the book of Acts. Chapter 17. The book of Acts, chapter 17. Now, before COVID would happen, we would do the sermon here. Colleen would listen, take her notes. She would have all six hours, wouldn't she, John? All six hours to get her questions ready for prayer night. And she would come loaded for bear, asking me the most difficult theological questions. And uh, it was wonderful. It was great. And what reminds me of Colleen, this is just one of many. I'll tell you something else she taught me at prayer all the time. But here in Acts 17, look with me, would you, at verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word, look at this, with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Colleen Yezer was a searcher of the scriptures and a person who liked to ask questions, which is amazing. Uh, When you read the scriptures, doesn't Jesus ask the questions all the time? Here's another thing that Colleen would do, even in that same rhythm right there. If we would launch out in our corporate prayer, if we would launch out in our supplications, our requests for needs or our requests for supply, when it got to Colleen's turn, guess what she would do? She would adore the Lord. She would praise the Lord, uh, say, Lord, you're the only one worthy of adoration and blessing and honor. And she would always remind me 
not to, to get too far ahead of myself in my supplications. She did a great thing, and it was beautiful. And of course, her and John have had a love story, and that's wonderful. And as you might imagine, John's hurting. Of course he is. He's grieving, and we're going to, in a minute here, go put our arms around him because he's the one here, and we're going to pray for him. Uh, but we know this, Colleen's with her Savior her blessed Savior. So we are. We're sad today. It's like, you know, we've taken some punches in grief. Of course, it's good to grieve. The Lord grieved over his friend. Nothing wrong with grieving. The point, though, is we grieve with the hope of eternity, and that's a real blessing. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to pray for Mary Stock. We're going to pray for Lisa and the rest of Terry's family, and we're going to pray for John. And if you want to put your arm around John, if it's okay with him, of course you better ask him first. <laughs> and we're going to lift up these uh, folks in prayer, and then Xander's going to give us the announcements. Well, Lord, we do. We come here uh, this morning. We come here with heavy hearts, in a sense, Lord, but hopeful hearts. Lord, we're thankful that our sister Mary is uh, recovering. We know she's in pain, though, and we're praying, Lord, that you would knit together all these things that she needs knitted together, that you'd heal and touch, and in the middle of it all, you'd be uh, her peace and her strength and her comfort, and I pray that for her husband Eric and her children. Lord, uh, I pray that she would get healthy and back to, up to speed, and we know, just knowing her, Lord, when this is all wound up, she'll give you all the uh, praise and honor and glory. And Lord, we thank you for Terry's life. We thank you that he was saved and uh, is with you now. And we lift his wife Lisa up and the rest of his family, and we pray, Lord, that you'd give them comfort and peace like his brother Dennis. And to the rest of them, man, we thank you for his life. He was a breath of fresh air in our lives, Lord. We thank you that he's with you. And of course now, Lord, we come and we lift up our brother here, John, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you'd heal and touch and bring a peace, even though he's hurting and grieving, that surpasses all understanding. Lord, that you'd be his all in all and that the body would come around him and love on him as he goes through this. Lord, we thank you for Colleen and her life and glad she's with you, Lord. And we're glad that someone shared the gospel with her and with Terry and with Mary, who's sitting here watching. And we love all these people, and we thank you for their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you so much. Okay, there we go. Perfect. Um, just to, to run down a few other things. Um, here this morning, um, the youth, if you don't know, what they're doing on Wednesday nights is they'll be having youth group this Wednesday night here at the church. They're going to do a, um, a special study, a one-week um, study on the book of Habakkuk. So if you struggle with doubt or if you have questions and how to deal with doubt in the Christian life, youth, that's going to be Wednesday night here at the church at 7 p.m. And then also on the rest of the month of August, before they get continue to, do, continue to meet on every Wednesday night, they're going to do something special where they go through the Psalms on Sunday nights. So they're going to be meeting at houses. 
So parents, we want to let you know because we know that sometimes the, um, the channel of communication between kids and parents doesn't always work. I don't know where the breakdown happens. Uh, but we want to make sure that you're aware of that. So the, they're going to be studying through selective psalms on Wednesday, or excuse me, on Sunday evenings. And then they are, they're going to be having a meeting, and we'll make more announcements as we get closer. Um, going over the calendar for the year in September, um, just giving you some general information. Both parents and kids, there's um, a texting string, part of an app, to give, keep you updated with all the information. So just be looking forward to that um, in September as well. And then... Uh, last couple of things, we have the home fellowships, again, in August, the Ebert Home Fellowship, and you can see the details in the bulletin for that. And then um, our home fellowship in Pleasant Hills is not going to be the second Friday. It's going to be the second Saturday this month. Um, we're going to be finishing the Book of Romans, so want to make sure that you know that we moved it from Friday night to Saturday just this month. And then also um, the last, or excuse me, August 19th, there's going to be another home fellowship starting where they go through the foundations of the faith. So really, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? All the foundations, um, they're going to be doing that in the home of Kelly Clark, which is going to be in Peters Township. So it's going to be more of an outreach. But you guys are all more than welcome, welcome to invite a friend. Um, but like Tim said, if you're already kind of established at a home fellowship, don't forsake one just to go to another one because it's starting. So that's going to be August 19th. You can see Kelly or Tim with questions for that. And then uh, Mark needs a little bit of help in the, in the warehouse. There was some uh, varmints, I guess, raccoons, we're not sure. Something got into uh, the warehouse down there and, and got into some of the clothes. And he needs some help towards the end of August cleaning some of that up. So if you are a cleaner or if you would like to be plugged in there, you can see Mark. Um, and then last but not least, how many of you like hats? Warren, a couple, okay, a few. Well, we just ordered a bunch of hats. Well, we didn't order a bunch yet. We have some CCSP hats, finally. They've been long awaited on the Sunday that Brad's not here, we, who loves hats more than anybody else. But we have, um, we're gonna get some hats in black, just with our logo, and it's just a basic trucker hat, and then uh, gray and black, they're right here. I'll have them up front if you wanna check them out. But if you're interested, if you want a hat, they're $13. We make no money on it. This isn't some type of fundraising. This isn't going into the, it's just at cost. We just pass it along to you. And look, the point of uh, the hats, the shirts, the sweatshirts, stickers that we have is not to advertise CCSP. We don't care about that. But it's to start a conversation with somebody. They see the logo. They ask, what is that? They ask Calvary Chapel. Maybe they've heard of it. Who knows? But it's a conversation starter. Then you can invite them to church. You can share the gospel with them. So if you're a hat person or if you um, know somebody who wants a hat, um, Kelly Clark, who I think is downstairs because I don't see her. Oh, wait, she's hiding over there. There's Kelly. So Kelly, go and see Kelly, and she's going to take orders. We, we're going to get gray ones, and um, we're going to get black ones as well. Again, 13 bucks. It's at cost. She's going to write everybody's name down who wants one. Then we, we're going to order a bunch of them in a couple weeks. So go see Kelly. And then if, if you order one, you can pay whenever we actually get the hats in. And then the last, last thing, since my wife is texting me, thankfully reminding me as I'm up here, the men's and women's retreats are coming in October, and we are pumped about that. So the men's retreat is going to be October 7th, 8th, and 9th. So I guess, I think that's technically the second weekend in October, but 7th, 8th, and 9th, and the women's retreat is going to be the weekend after that. 
So whatever that is, the 14th, 15th, 16th, I'm guessing. Um, so write that down. You can block it off on your schedules. Um, again, the guys and then the women's right after that. So the guys will uh, will go and get it dirty, and then the, the girls can... No. Okay. <laughs> so we're going <laughs> to... Uh, but plan ahead. You can invite folks. It's only 100 bucks. Um, to come, all your meals are invited. We're gonna make. We're working on getting the registration and the speakers and everything signups available. But we want to make sure that you guys have plenty of time to schedule that uh, weekend free around that. Um, so just beware of that. And why don't we do this? Why don't we turn to uh, the book of John? And Tim's gonna come up, and we're gonna continue through the book of John. So let's do that. All right. Thank you so much. Well, that's weird. I was expecting another break, I guess. So turn with me to John 13. Uh, <clears throat> as we move towards the conclusion of this book, um, pretty incredible uh, piece of scripture that we're going to study and look at tonight or today. Uh, as you put your finger there, uh, I'm not sure we always think of this like what we're about ready to read. But look over with me uh, into Colossians chapter 1. Keep your finger in John 1. And uh, look with me at verse 15. I just want us to know, as we're speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we're talking about. We're getting more money for Jerusalem. This is wonderful. <laughs> we're all going to go over right now. I'm kidding. It doesn't matter. It happens. If you called me right now, I'd be in trouble because my notes are on my phone. I never do that ever in my life, but I had to uh, this week as I was driving in the car. But anyway... So don't call me or text me. Don't text me. Anyway, I think as we move through chapter 13 through chapter 17 of the book of John, you need to know this. John writes different than every other writer. I say this and you're sick of hearing it, but I'm going to say it again. 92% of what's in John is original to John. And one of the practical reasons it's original to John is John was the oldest apostle and he knew what had been written. So he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sort of filled in the gaps. And here's one place you really see he filled in the gaps because in chapters 13 through 17, this is on the night in which he was betrayed. If you went into the other gospels, what would you see them doing? Juice or wine and a cracker or bread, right? Here, we don't see that at all. Isn't that amazing? We don't see it at all. What we see instead is uh, something of humiliation, servanthood, something way different. But I want us to remind us who we're looking at, who we're seeing in the Gospels. So follow along with me in Colossians 1, Verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you were about ready to die, folks, 
Let's put it this way. If you were coming up on the grandest crisis of your life, it could include death or something of that nature. Many people say, well, that reveals character. Other people, I think rightly so, says, uh, excuse me, that develops character. But other people rightly say, crises don't develop character. It reveals character. And here, from chapter 13, think about it. Four or five chapters devoted, just devoted, to about a 24-hour period. See, because in John 13, within 24 hours, Jesus is on the cross. He takes four chapters or so to show you, John does by the inspiration of the Spirit, to show you that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen uh, Jesus, you've seen the Father. What would you do on your last night? Well, let's take a look. John chapter 13. And what's really fascinating about this is if you turn one chapter back, thank you, Andy, he did such an amazing job, and you look at what John chooses to put by being directed by the Spirit in John chapter 12, you go, oh, I never caught that before. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, John chapter 12, verse 1. Lazarus was who had been dead, or was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one who sat at the table. Then Mary took a pound of oil of of spikenard, I can't even talk, and appointed the feet of... Oh, my anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. As some pastors have said, look, there was a foot washing that happened six days prior to the time that we're going to read about tonight in verse 13. Jesus was anointed with oil. Why? Because he didn't have any dirt or uncleanness, or sin. He was anointed and blessed because he was going to march to his death. And then you get into chapter 13, and you read this. And you've read it so much, I'm not sure. Or we've read it so much, I'm not sure that it doesn't wow us anymore. Or if it wows us anymore. But this man is about ready to die. And it's going to be a violent, terrible, ugly, brutal death. Humiliating death. Not just death. It's going to be stripped of all clothes, full nakedness, pure torture prior to the time that he gives up his spirit and goes and dies. And it says here in verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, 
Now we all, I'm going to say it almost every time, every time we do the book of John, every chapter, I'm going to say it again and again. This is important that you know when it says when Jesus knew that his hour had come. It's important that you know it. It's important for your Bible learning, but it's important for your walk with the Lord. See, because when I first read the Bible, and I dare say that many Christians still read it like this, we read the scripture accounts of the Passion Week as if somehow Jesus got caught in a trap and the wheels sort of fall off sort of his life and they caught him and they killed him. But it's actually the opposite of that and that's what this verse is telling you. You see, in chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus told his mom, my hour is not yet come. In chapter 7, verse 30, hour not yet come. 8.20, hour not yet come. 12.23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Here in 13, verse 1, we just read it. And then in 17.1, the great high priestly prayer that Jesus makes, he says to the Father, the hour has come. So you and I, we need to know what that hour is. And that hour is where he marches to his death. He dies. He rises again. He spends some time here, and then he ascends to the Father. That's the hour. And it's an appointed hour. That's the point. It wasn't willy-nilly like, oh, he died just out of the blue. This was an appointed hour. I believe it was prophesied through the book of Daniel to the very day that he died. And that God had communicated, the Father had communicated to the Son, now when it's time that he should go and be glorified. And so that makes all the difference in the world. Let me set it out for you. It's that God is the one in control. It's not the circumstances of the world that control God. We act like that sometimes. But it's that God is in control and that his gospel and his plan rules and he's sovereign. And I even say that now, you know, with a heavy heart because I can hear some of you saying, well, this bad thing happened in my life. Yeah, but there's an appointed time, you see, that Jesus Christ is going to come back here and judge the world and rule and reign. And in the meantime, listen, he's defeated the worst thing that the enemy could ever throw at us. The worst thing of all, the terror of man, death, Jesus has defeated and has brought us into a relationship with him and only by him can we come into a saving uh, relationship or eternal life and he's even defeated that and so God is in control he's the one putting these people on trial they think he's the one being put on trial but it's him that knows he has to go this this is so liberating I want you to get it this isn't something to run by. This is liberating. COVID, vaccines, masks, anxiety, depression, it's all around. It's closing in. Nobody has the answers. And the Christians have the answer. And it's a person. And we have peace through Christ. 
And when everybody else is perplexed and feeling dark and blue and shot out, it's not that we cruise through life with a flippant attitude or, no, a humble attitude of knowing where we come from and where we go. It's beautiful. It stabilizes us. So when he says Jesus knew that his hour had come, over and over again, it's one of the great themes of John, and it's a great theme that you and I need to know. Sometimes we get so far down in the weeds that we forget to come back and look at the big picture. I mean, moms, can you relate? You're there doing what you think maybe, or these little tasks, da 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 you know, at the end of the day, you're shot out. and Yeah, who wouldn't be shot out? But the Bible says, in a big picture, you with the Father are raising godly children, Malachi tells us. That's the purpose of one, of, one of the purposes, not the purpose, one of the purposes of marriage. You have a kid for 18 years. You have seminary for 18 years, and then you let him go. It's the big picture in all things. I could go around the room. There's a big picture. It's more than just accounts and motions and wins in the courtroom. It's about glorifying God wherever you are. And here there's this big picture. His hour had come. And that he should depart from this world to the Father. That's what the hour is. He's going to go back to the Father and sit at the right hand and lived to make intercession for us. Having loved his own were who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You should put this on your refrigerator. This should be one of the ones you remember. Because the words here in the Greek language is, he loved them to the fullest extent possible for a human, but yet there's no limits to his love. Are you getting that? There's no limits to his love. Here in a few chapters, he's going to tell us there's no greater love than one who would lay down his life for his friends. I want you to think about that. Who would you lay your life down for? Here, he's, going, he's saying he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. It's such a warming verse. Why? Because... There's this perspective you get when you recognize, when you know, 1 Corinthians 6, that you're not your own. You know that little kingdom you were trying to build all those times? The little white picket fence and the vacations and all that sort of thing and, and the 401k and all that stuff? Hey, listen, none of that in and of itself is bad, but see, that's not what you're all about. You were purchased with a price. In other words, you're not your own. I, I love sharing the gospel off of the back of a magazine. I got saved through a little tract. But sometimes the back of the magazine and the tract needs to tell you a little bit more. And one of the things is, is what you're signing up for. And what you're signing up for is your life for his it's an exchange. You're not your own anymore. But see, that's great. People out in the world chafe at that. Maybe I have chafed at that in my life. 
But the Bible tells us you're not your own anymore. You were purchased. You were bought with a price. The blood of Jesus, you're his. He's the captain. You're no longer the captain. He's the captain. He says to you the agenda. You don't tell him your agenda. Are we all tracking? This is important, but it's beautiful because he loves you with the most perfect love, the most perfect love you could ever have. All you have to do is read through uh, Romans chapter 8, the most perfect love. We just ordered a book here. I want you all to read it. I only got 10 of them, but I'm hoping you all read it. It's a peewee little book. It would take you about 20 minutes to read it, maybe 25, if you just read it straight through. But it's so deep. Everything she says, you have to read and listen. And it's called If by Amy Carmichael. Anybody know who Amy Carmichael was? Amy Carmichael was an Irish missionary who moved to India to save young people from being put in the temples as prostitutes. And I think she was in the 1800s, maybe early 1900s. I could be wrong about that. Early 1900s, I think. And she writes a book about Knowing the love of God through Calvary, and it's called If, and I want you all to read it. And the beautiful part is that he loves you so much, he takes the time to work with you, and he's patient with you, and he molds you and shapes you. And if you have an attitude that's not exactly Christ-like, he works with you on that, and he shows you things, and he brings you through things, and he's totally patient etc. It's just beautiful. Here it says he loved his own who were in the world and it, he loved them to the end. It actually could be changed to uttermost. Oh, okay. Don't you want to be loved? It's the most basic need you have is to be loved. Do you have a problem receiving or giving love? Here's your answer. You're bought with a price. You're no longer your own. He loves you to the uttermost. His disciples, he'll do anything to get your attention, to love you. You see it? You say, well, what do you mean he'll do anything? He sent his son on your behalf to die for you, for the sins of the world. He'll do anything. The limits, there are none. So it says his hour had come that you should just remember that and take heart about that and loved his own who were on the world. He loved them to the end. He was going to love them even as he sweat drops of blood in the garden. I mean, as a man, sure, the terror of the way in which he was going to die and the death, no fun. But he marched forward for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12 tells us. Because of you, you're the joy. My goodness. And this one's always perplexed me. Verse 2. <laughs> verse 2. And supper being ended. Wait a minute. Supper is ended? Well, if you read the, Gre uh, the Greek here, it means probably what this means is towards the end of the supper. Probably doesn't mean the supper's over. And I'm telling you, that's going to make a difference here in a minute. And the supper being ended, or it was in progress, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now watch this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, 
and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And we'll finish that in a minute. Now, I want to remind you, this is, he's within 24 hours of being nailed to a cross, scourged, beaten, slapped, spit on, beard plucked out. Can you imagine your beard plucked out? That's not in the Gospels. That's in Isaiah. But, uh, uh, marred his visage. The Old Testament tells us his visage was marred uh, more than any man. Within 24 hours, I want you to think about this. Supper is at the end or in progress. There's a spiritual warfare. One of the 12... The one he spent all this time with, what would you feel like if the one or one of the 12, one of the ones you spent all the time with for three years or however long it was, all that time and the uh, enemy had gotten to him and he betrayed him into the hands of his captors. Well, remember, Jesus is in control. There's this sadness for Jesus that this has happened to him. But watch. Supper is ended. The devil has been put into the heart of Jesus. Listen, the enemy of our souls, when there's something big and monumental about ready to happen, whew, he wants to strike to get, get us distracted. And here, of course, the enemy comes up or rears his head. And Jesus, I want you to circle the word, knows that the Father had given all things into his hands. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 35, it reads this way. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. That was in John chapter 3. You also know this in the other gospel, all authority under heaven and earth, right, is given to Jesus. You know that. So here's something. Jesus knows that the father had given all things into his hands. Now watch this. And that he had come from God. Jesus knew that he had come from God. Watch this. That's in the past. And, of course, to an eternal being, it's not the past. But you, to us, he had come from the Father. That's in the past. And that he was going to God. That's in the future. Are you catching that? Jesus was completely satisfied. Uh, the satisfied is not the right word. Settled. Everything was settled in his heart about his past. Everything was settled in Jesus' heart about his future so that he could love now. One pastor we know teaches on this, and it's so powerful. How many times have you said, you gotta, or you've heard said, you got to know where you come from and know where you're going. Well, the Christian life does it. Do you know in 1 Corinthians 13, you love it. You put it on your, I know you do. You put it on T-shirts, bumper stickers. You put it up on your refrigerator. Faith 
hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? And so watch this. Jesus had it settled, his past. Jesus had it settled, his future. And so he could love in the present. Watch this. For you and I. What does a biblical counselor do? Here's the answer in a nutshell to everything a biblical counselor does. People often come to, in to a session of biblical counseling and say, my, my past has got me all jammed up. I can't get over this thing. I can't get over that thing. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying this is what happens. I feel guilty about that. I feel shame about that. This thing has happened to me. That thing, right? That's what happens in a counseling session a lot of times. The past. But on the other hand of that, some people are so anxious and anxiety-driven over what's going to happen in the future. Anxiety-ridden, sorry. Over what's going to happen in the future. And it really bothers them. And there's no peace. They can't have peace because what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, and I'm not making fun. It's a real thing. You get it? But Jesus in the gospel deals with all of that. You understand this? He says, well, let me just read it to you. Hebrews 12. Go there. Therefore, verse 1, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by the way, this is a little rabbit trail and I'm getting off course. You understand why it's so, such a godly thing to live life with not a bunch of stuff? Watch this. Let us lay aside every weight, not just the sins, but yes, sin too. Let's weigh aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the rate that it, race that is set before us. You know what? When I start working out, I start to lose calories. And the more you lose calories, the more you lose some weight, and the faster you can go, and the more you want to keep going because you keep losing and you're, it's easier Right now, I'm having a difficult time, quite frankly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but you don't know how funny that is. But anyway. Uh, but it's just, here Jesus is just, or uh, the writer here is just telling us just to go through life lightly so that we could run with endurance. You know, what's great is when a, a, a need comes up and you, you're not tied to everything in the world so you can go meet the need. You ever had to say, nah, sorry, I can't do it. I got every, you know, worry on my shelf here and I can't right now. You ever had to say that? I had to say that a lot. It's good to get rid of that extra weight. Of course, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the rate is that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Man, thank the Lord that he's the author of my faith. Thank the Lord that he finishes it out as I cooperate with him, not me, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. He's victorious. 
Which means, listen folks, when you get back to John chapter 13, Jesus was completely settled about his past. Jesus was completely settled about his future. You too can be settled about your past. If it's something that you have done, watch this. He forgives all of your sins. He takes them as far as the east is from the west. And the Bible tells us he remembers them no more. You don't have to feel shame and guilt about the things that you've done in the past. Because the Lord has done it. And you just go around thanking the Lord. If you need to make uh, restitution with somebody, of course you do that. Yes. But now you're as free as you've ever been because you were saved and forgiven just because of everything God did. It's freeing. But then you say, well, wait a minute. What if something's happened to me that was bad? Well, that's, I'm sorry about that, that something bad happened to you. But you no longer have to be identified by that thing or those things which happened to you because you're not who you were. The Bible says that you become a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. New things have come. Your identity never anymore has to be as a victim. You're the victor. You got victory. I can tell you, there's not many people in here who like to win more than me, although there might be a couple. There you go, Timothy. And the Bible says we're victors in Christ. We're not victims. That's hard to say to some of us because I know some tough things have happened to us. But when you get that through and you see that you no longer have to live as a victim, you can live as a victor in Jesus, wow, now your whole past has been dealt with. Everything. Oh, oh, wait a minute. It gets even better. Because the Bible says that you are, have been given eternal life in Jesus Christ. The minute you surrender your life to Christ, it's settled. You have eternal life with him. You have this life now. You have his life now. And oh, by the way, you're going to live with him forever in eternity. So that COVID could come. I don't want COVID to be here. I'm praying that COVID leaves. But COVID can come. Monkeypox can come. I don't want it to. I'm going to pray that the Lord deals with it. I'm not, a, you know, a glutton for punishment. But they can fire you. You might get cancer. <laughs> but there's nothing that can alter your future. Zip, nothing. You're going to go be with the Lord, whether he takes me today or in 10 years or 100 years or whatever, or he comes first. Your whole future is completely settled. Quit worrying about tests. Quit worrying about the bonus at the end of the year. The Lord has you. Just do your best and give it over to the Lord. It's all settled. Now, when your past is all settled and the present is, watch this. You have complete freedom to love people 
now. The weights are all gone. You get it? You're running light. Somebody calls and says, oh, shoot, I need a ride. I need my trash taken out. I've been hurt. I'm sick. Oh, or, or whatever. So maybe something bigger. He knew that the Father had given all things to in his, his hands. He knew he was given all of this authority. All of it. All authority in heaven and earth. Do you know what men and women do with authority? Get as many people to work for them as possible. That's what we do. <laughs> We're looking at the image of the invisible God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Watch this. Look what happens with the authority that Christ has been given. The authority of God comes to him. His past is taken care of. His present taken uh, uh, or his future is taken care of. So here's what he does. He's so free. He's free just like we can be free. He rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. Now, there's a little bit more to this story that's really sort of funny to me because <laughs> it really makes it real. In Luke 24, this story some of it is recounted. And guess what's happening during the supper? The 12 are arguing. <laughs> Come on, folks, that's funny. Here you have this holy moment. I mean, holy. You're seeing what God is like, and God stoops low. And in the midst of it, the people are fighting about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. They're fighting. And if you turn over there, look into Luke 24. Hold on. Oh, it's 22, sorry. <laughs> Verse 24. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And I want you to see what Jesus said. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. People who are outside the family of God, they have this structure where the boss is up top and people work underneath them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For he, or for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves, is, not, uh, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. <laughs> this is happening. Now, if you go back to John 13, think about it. They're eating together. They're eating together. Forget Leonardo da Vinci's picture. That ain't the way it happened. They didn't sit at a table that was like this. They sat at a U-shaped table with Jesus probably in the middle of the bottom of the U. Get what I'm saying? And they were all around. And they would jostle to be able to sit beside Jesus, because that would make them greater. By the way, if you read through this account, I want you to see something. 
almost too hard to believe. When they sat at this table, they had no chairs. And here later on, it says that the disciple whom Jesus loved reclined on his breast, which meant he sat to the right of him and he sat back and they would lean on their left arm sitting back. So they would eat with their right hand. The one whom Jesus loved is reclining. Jesus at the time takes a piece of bread and says, eating with his right hand, I'm going to give this to the one who's going to betray me, which means probably Judas was on the left. <laughs> which means Jesus sat them there. And they're arguing and they're arguing. You ever have been on vacation where your kids argue in the car? You like that? Is that fun? You lose your peace real quick, don't you? Oh, now that's unique. You lose your peace real quick. Now think about this. Here they are. They're arguing. They're doing all of these things. And in the midst of this, in the midst of this arguing, the one who's God, who came as a man, watch, just gets up. They need their feet washed. When you would go to somebody's house, you would obviously bathe before you go, but you'd have to walk on dirty, dusty roads. And generally, if in, they were going to uh, another Jewish person's house, they'd have uh, a servant there who would wash the feet. Sometimes they would have Hebrew servants and a Gentile servant. And if it was a choice between the two, the Gentile servant would want be the one who'd have to wash the feet because he was the lowest servant. Get it? But here you just got this ragtag bunch of guys who are fighting, and there's only 13 of them going up to the upper room. They don't have the servant. Are you catching it? And they're busy arguing about greatness. And, you know, Jesus probably way nicer than I would be, sort of looking around like, oh, shoot, um, we... We forgot the feet washing part of this. And as we're reclining together, it just gives off a bad smell. I mean, what else? It's dirty. I mean, your feet are right in my hummus here. I mean, you <laughs> don't know if he said it like that, but you get what I'm saying. And in the middle of this arguing, this discord, he gets up. Whew. gets up and he lays aside his garments. That means he takes off his outer garments and he takes a towel and they must've been going, you know, maybe they were arguing a little bit, talking so much because they're around this table. They, maybe they didn't even notice for a minute. And before you know it, his garments are off and he's got the towel and they're arguing about greatness. And there's sort of a tension there and, you know, Jesus is getting ready to go get nailed to a cross and he gets up and he girds himself and he pours out this water into a basin. I mean, these are the things, the reason these are all in here is because these are the things a servant would do, the lowest servant. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, I just want you to put yourself in the upper room for a second. 
I want you to picture yourself as one of the disciples sort of arguing or at least hearing the arguments about who's greatest. And Jesus had been sort of saying now the hour has come and you're not really sure what that means, but you're hearing some things and you're paying attention to your company and the next thing you know, he's sitting at your feet. And what would you say? I know what the men would say in here. The only reason I say men is because I'm a man. I don't know what the women would say, but I suspect you might say it too. No! You can't do that. I ain't accepting that. And I'm not making it up because Peter does it. Peter says, Lord, are you washing my feet? You? Mine? No way, in other words. You, you can't do that. There's no way. Now, let me take just a second and go down a little rabbit trail. You know, the Christianity, the, the, the gospel is the gospel of grace. You can always tell, and I'm going to be the first one here to raise my hand, when people have trouble receiving grace. Go do something for somebody. Guess what they'll say, especially, at least, I'm, I'm not being chauvinistic, it's just what I know. Go do something just without expecting anything in return. Go do something for a man in here, and I guarantee you I know what they're going to say. Oh, how much can I pay you for that? Or, no, 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 I don't want you to do that without me giving you something back. Am I right? You see, we are like in our flesh, wired to resist the free opportunity of someone blessing us. It's so weird, isn't it? And here, the disciples are getting this thing from their master and Lord, the one that they've given up everything to follow, and he gets down. Can you imagine saying to Jesus as he's at your feet, you ain't doing mine? So he does say that, and Jesus answers and says to him, what I am doing you don't understand now, but you will after this. You'll know after this. And Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. <laughs> no, you're not doing it. You're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and, or, yeah, my hands and my head. That's funny. Come on. That's funny. He knows he's making a mistake. Peter, the one who just spews out things with his mouth all the time. Who, who can relate to Peter? You just say some things and you go, why did I say that? And then the Lord fixes it and everything's okay. And Jesus says to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew he would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, watch it, watch it, watch it. Blessed are you if you do them. Doesn't that bring anything else to mind? Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Right? You get it all? Happy, joyful. Sometimes when people come to me and they feel like they're in a rut, dry spiritually, one of the questions I always ask is, where are you serving? Sometimes we can get into such a thing where we're consuming, 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 consuming. Let the pastor do it. Let the women's Bible teacher do it. Let the men's Bible teacher do it. Let the youth group leader do it. Just let them do it. And let me get all the stuff pumped in there and I'll be great. And I'll go home and wonderful. And we feel dry and dusty still. And you go, well, why? Well, here I think is a key. Are we serving? Now, let me just talk to you about a couple things. First thing is this. As I pull up my note on my phone, one pastor has said this. How do you get to be a servant? Do you manufacture it? Do you set your obedience to it? Yeah, sort of, but there's something greater than that. Listen to this. One commentator, a well-grounded assurance of heaven and happiness. If you have a well-grounded assurance of heaven and happiness, instead of puffing a man up with pride, it will make him and keep him very humble. Those that would be found conformable to Christ and partakers of his spirit must study to keep their minds low in the midst of the greatest advancements. Now that which Christ humbles himself to was to wash his disciples' feet. And the reason I read you that is, it's the knowledge, the knowledge in the head, the knowledge in the heart that you and all of your past has been settled, all of your future is hopeful. You can now go on with all of that and freely serve as a servant. But what's a servant? Here's what we think a servant is. Well, I'm going to march down to the church and I'm going to tell them what I'm going to do for service. I'm going to tell them that this is the thing that I want to do. I've had people come here month, month and a half, they want to teach. I'm like, well, it'd be nice if I knew you. I mean, uh, what do you mean you want to teach? Uh, we have people come and they, uh, anyway. It's not marching in and saying, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. You're the one who receives from the Lord. Lord, what can I do? What what can you give me to do? Here's what a servant is. The first thing is, as Elizabeth Elliot points out, in, in the way that only she can, the first thing is a servant has is a way different frame of mind or a, uh, a perspective uh, once they become a Christian. And you see that in Philippians 2. Will you turn over there with me? We're talking about what is a servant because Jesus asked you and me to be servants. He said, are you going to be greater than I am? 
You think you're greater than I am where you don't have to serve? No, we're servants. If you see God, God is one who stoops low and finds the lonely and the lost. And he reaches out to them in their needs, but especially and primarily in their uh, spiritual needs. And he's called you then to follow him in that way, to be a servant. So what do you have to be? Well, the first thing is there's a radical shift in what you're thinking. Look at this, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Ready? Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus didn't steal when he said it was equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant, a bondservant. And he came in the likeness of man, found an appearance as a man. He humbled himself, but not just humbled himself. He was obedient. He became obedient. And not just obedient to the point of death. And not just death. The death on a cross. The most humiliating thing that could ever happen. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So Jesus is going to be exalted. But listen, listen. You have the mind of Christ. What, it is, it, what is it to be a servant? You have the mind of Christ. You don't march in and tell people what you're going to do. You ask the Lord what he wants you to do. And when the Lord directs you to what he wants you to do, you know what? You might get the one that's on TV or the radio. You might get that one. But he, what he might call you to, he might call you to the private prayer team that's never, ever, ever going to be seen on radio or TV or anything like that or Instagram, nothing. But he's called you to it. And he's asked you to do it. You might be called to the toilet ministry to clean the toilets. Because, folks, that has to happen to keep going here. You might be called to the chair ministry. You might be called to the worship ministry, the AV ministry, whatever. But when we get there, are we saying, ah, that's not something I want to do? Or are we saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? I'll serve wherever you are. I have this mind that's humble, which means, in another way, you don't pick your assignments. A servant doesn't pick his assignments. <laughs> I want you to hear that one. A servant goes where he's called to be a servant. And you know what? When he gets there, he or she is delighting in the service because it's unto God, not as unto man. If you are doing it as unto man, you're going to be ticked and bitter and mad. But if you're doing it as unto the Lord, you'll be joyful and delightful. You don't get to pick your assignments. And here's another one. 
When people treat you like a servant, you don't respond angrily. You don't have bitterness in your hearts towards them because guess what you are? A servant. Jesus said this now in the Gospels. If you wanted to follow him, you had to take up your cross. And that's how you would follow him. And you'd do it daily. You'd die to yourself. You'd get the spirit of God in you. You'd have a different mindset, a, a humility that's willing to bend low and to be a servant. You take the assignments he gives. You don't react when people treat you like a servant because you are a servant. There's nothing too far above you or below you. <laughs> I get in trouble for this. You know something I can't stand? I had it at my church growing up. The pastor parks beside the church. I think that's just indicative of what's wrong with church. Sorry if you pastors park beside the church. You know, you got people coming to the church who may, you know, be disabled or need a walker. And I'm thinking, you're what? Reserved for the pastor. I can't think of anything unbiblic, more unbiblical than that. Sorry. I mean, of course, if the pastor has issues, yes. But are you getting what I'm saying? Here, we're all servants. Just some are different than others, but we're all servants. One other thing. What's this bit about G Peter saying, what, uh, you're not washing my feet, man. No way. And Jesus said, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you're going to know this after. And Jesus answered him later there and said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Jesus goes on to say and says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not all of you. What is this talking about? Here's what I think it's talking about. They use two different words for the bathing that's being completely bathed or the, the complete bathing. And they also use a different word for the washing of the feet. And I think this is what it means. Once you become or surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you're baptized into his death and you're made alive in his resurrection. You've been washed clean by the blood. And what you should do is, because the Bible asks you to do it, is you should go get baptized. Do I believe the water baptism saves you? No, I don't believe that, but I think you should do it and you should be obedient to do it. What saves you is the blood of Christ. But you've been washed completely clean. But the problem is you walk in this world. And there's this verse in 1 John. Why don't you turn over there? You work, uh, walk in this world. And you get some dirt and dust on you. You ever been at the Christmas party and heard the foul joke? Or, you know. Listen. I'm not a legalist. If you run out of here and say I'm a legalist, you're wrong. <laughs> but what does secular music do a lot of the time? You know what secular music does to me? And I listen to it sometimes, so I'm not. <laughs> Here's what it does. It puts me right back in the flesh. It's just something about it. 
It's talking about you, you, you deserve, she's, you know, what can you get? And so as you go through the week, and you could talk about a million things. I'm just talking about the foul jokes, the the me-ism, the selfishness of the world, the world that you sort of get some dirt on you. And I want to read you something that's very... Uh, familiar to you. Verse 8 of 1 John 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I think what the washing of the feet is exemplifying or showing us is that we need to continually come to Jesus in confession, not because our sins have not been settled. No, that's been settled. He paid for that past, present, and future. But there's this thing, this fellowship uh, barrier. I don't know if barrier is the right word, but this mess up of fellowship, this uh, disjointed fellowship that happens between you and the Lord. And it's not really the Lord, it's you. You've been walking in the world, you got the self, and you know, you've had this and, and, and said this or thought this and done this, and you just confess it. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Lord, man, you're right, Lord. I agree with you. That was wrong. And I'm going to say it to you as wrong, and I'm going to move forward. Thank you for forgiving my sins. You get what I'm saying? It's like that daily confession of keeping short accounts with God. Right? Are you catching that? By the way, I chose, the Lord directed me on my vacation to read Exodus again. And so I read through Exodus. It's so fabulous and so rich. And in Exodus 29, did you know this? When the priests get ready, when they prepare the priests, guess what they do with the priests? They wash them. Completely wash them. Then they put all their stuff on. But what's fascinating is, that's chapter 29. Chapter 23, they walk into the gates and there's this little laver there. And they used the mirrors that the ladies had as they were coming out from Egypt and they put it in the bottom of this thing, laver, that they could wash their hands in. The priest, who just had been cleansed, came to go meet with God, looked down, saw his dirt, and had to wash it off. And it's a picture of this, what's hap- I think, what's happening here with Peter. There's this closeness, this fellowship. You want to stay close to the Lord. You confess your sins 30 times a day, 40 times. Don't get hung up, though. I mean, if you missed one, you're not going to hell, folks. The Lord, will, the Lord will take over. But you know what I mean. Lord, oh, you've been showing me that thing, and that was wrong, and you move on. You get it? And there's this closeness that develops between you and the Lord. It's a thing that keeps your heart pliable. It also keeps you a person recognizing the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've already done it. I was wrong there. Are you getting me? That's where you stay close with the Lord. It's the fellowship, the fellowship. Always remember the priest would walk directly and even have to wash his hands. So what am I saying here as we close up, as we get through half of the chapter? You really want to be blessed, happy, joyful, 
You can turn over to James and spout it off. Don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And that's certainly true. But Jesus tells you the same thing right here. You want to be blessed. Get out of that thing where you're always thinking about self and go find a need and meet the need. No matter what, no matter where, no matter who. I think some of us, when the Lord says, well, I want you to go do that for that person. Yeah, but I don't like that person. Hmm. You ever thought why he's asking you? No matter what, we don't pick the assignments. No matter where, we don't pick the assignments. No matter what it is, we are not above anything. The pastors aren't above anybody. We're just different. We have different roles. What is it that the Lord is calling you to? And the final thing I would say is, you've just read this today, and I want you to know You've been in the presence of the Lord. This is what the Lord is like. This is him. He's not a king up in heaven, bossing people around. Dude, he's one who would come out of the heavens. Get on his knees with smelly feet at a dinner and wipe them up. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for this scripture and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us and work in us and move in us. Lord, that people would know us by our love for one another and love for the world. Lord, that we would not argue with you about where you've sent us. If you've sent us there, Lord, we're happy with it. Purify any of our motives or any of our wrong thoughts about where you've placed us. Lord, if you're not the one up front or the one on TV, Lord, if we're not that, help us to be totally satisfied in you. Thank you for this tremendous blessing, this tremendous piece of scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.